Mr. Cheney, are you ready to take the oath? I am. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, James Danforth Quayle. I, Michael Richard Pence. I, Spiro Theodore Agnew. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. do solemnly swear. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the seventh episode of Running Mates. I'm your host, Lars Emerson, and as always, joined by my co-host, Michael Vito. What's going on? You know the drill. This is the podcast where we look at every presidential election through the lens of their vice presidential picks, and we talk about who they should have chosen instead. This week, we're talking 1992. Cold War is over. The world is looking a little warmer. Mm. <laughs> Can President George H.W. Bush represent America in this new era, or are Democrats, who've been out of power since 1981, looking for a comeback? A comeback kid. <laughs> See what I did there? Yes, I did. <laughs> Let's get right to it. We're setting the scene. 1992. Cold War's over. The Gulf War has been resolved. History has ended. And foreign policy matters no more. Foreign policy-heavy President George H.W. Bush is up for re-election. Unfortunately for him, things are not as good domestically. A mild recession struck in the early 90s, and having promised no new taxes in 1988, Bush is now compelled to raise them to reduce the deficit. This tanks his popularity. Because of the tax increase and what is now historically understood to have been probably the right thing to do, if not politically, he faces consternation from the far right of his party. He also faces opposition from America's protectionist elements for his preparations to implement the North American Free Trade Agreement, the largest free trade agreement in the world. Bush never really considered a diehard conservative, more of a moderate, right? True. What happens in the Republican primary, Mike? You set that up very well, actually. So Bush, you know, un- unusually for a incumbent, is challenged in the primary by Pat Buchanan, who is a conservative columnist and also the former communications director for Ronald Reagan. And he runs on a right-wing platform that emphasizes anti-immigration, anti-abortion, anti-gay rights, and anti-multiculturalism. He's a throwback to the old right hmm. of, say, Robert Taft. Initially, he wasn't pulling very great. He was not taking so so seriously but by the time the new hampshire primary rolls around it's a state that was pretty conservative at the time and was hit pretty bad by the recession and so this grassroots sort of pro buchanan movement begins to, to to galvanize they really go against bush for breaking the no new taxes pledge and once those were actually cast it started to look like before the results were called that buchanan actually had a pretty good shot of winning even though he did end up losing he still won 38 percent of the vote which is kind of unheard of if you have an income being challenged for reference bill weld only won 9% of the vote in the 2020 Hampshire primary against incumbent President Donald Trump. Bush would go on to win all the remaining primaries. In fact, he wins all of the primaries the entire year, but Buchanan still wins 30% of the vote cast in the primaries, especially the early ones. He wins just under 3 million votes total, and that kind of gives him a big platform from the party. A lot of his followers will show up to the RNC, and Buchanan will give his very famous sort of culture war speech where he sort of sets the scenes of the culture war and tries to paint the Democrats as these very sort of like radical progressives. And basically the party would then go on to try and rally the base of social conservatives. Cool. On the Democratic side. So before all of that, initially after the Gulf War, Bush seemed to be riding quite this high because the Gulf War went successfully. He seemed to be considered tough to beat. So some of the heavy hitters like uh, New York Governor Mario Cuomo and civil rights activist Jesse Jackson set out the race. Tennessee Senator Al Gore, who made waves in the last election, in 1988's primary, uh, also sits out because his son had been hit by a car. The race eventually boils down to five big names. You have former California Governor Jerry Brown, former Massachusetts Senator Paul Songus, Nebraska Senator Bob Kerry, Iowa Senator Tom Harkin, and Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton. Each of them won at least one contest. Clinton was initially the underdog with relatively little national profile compared to the rest, but he received attention due to allegations of an affair, which he then took to 60 Minutes with his wife to confront. His wife is this woman named Hillary. And then came second place in New Hampshire. He then built himself as the comeback kid and went on to sweep the South in the primary. Clinton proved to be strong in relatively every region of the country during the primary, which I think is kind of unique. He outshined Jerry Brown's more reform-minded campaign, and he lost only the sporadic state along the way with no clear regional weakness, save for the other candidates' home states. Songus and Brown duked it out against Clinton, but each eventually fell away, and Clinton secured a clear victory in 37 states, compared to just six for Brown and nine for Tsongas. Clinton's win in California over Brown proved to be the nail in that coffin. 
on to reality. We got Bush and Clinton as our nominees. Let's talk about who they chose as their running mates. Clinton chooses Tennessee Senator Al Gore, which is an interesting choice for the physical proximity. Not just in that they are both from the same region, the South, but because they are from neighboring states. The last time this happened was in 1948 with Harry Truman and Alvin Barkley. And the last time before that was Grant and Colfax in 1868. It happened like a couple times in the early 19th century, but considering that there were only like a few states back yeah. then, it's somewhat unavoidable. <laughs> My point is this is like really, really weird to have mm-hmm. two candidates on the same ticket from like states that touch each other. Mm-hmm. Gore was thought of as strong on family values, foreign policy, and the environment, while Clinton was perceived as fairly weak on these issues. They both, however, put forward kind of this image as a new kind of Democrat. Centrist, pragmatic, charismatic, and ready for a new generation of leadership. They're both, of course, fairly young. Yeah, so Bush will keep Dan Quayle, who's the man who was elected vice president in the last episode. But there was some serious consideration about him leaving the ticket. In fact, Bush and Quayle actually had to have a meeting to confirm that they would be running together again. <laughs> who and, called that meeting? <laughs> um, had to come to the consensus that Quayle, despite his many failings, which we discussed at length in the last episode, was not the cause of Bush's problems. <laughs> <laughs> which is true, to be fair. I mean, I don't think he helped, but like... There was a lot of stuff. Other but that, stuff like, going was on. that, like quail knock on the Oval Office door. He's like, "Hey, hey, yeah. Bush, do we need to talk?" Yeah, <laughs> like it, it sounded like there was basically so much speculation that they had to have this meeting so they could release a press release saying that they met about it and that they were going to stay together. Gotcha. Forty-nine percent of those polls said they would support dropping quail from the <laughs> ticket. The this was an article. Yeah, it was from the L.A. Times. And this quote says, His inability to convey substance is beginning to shape a reluctant conclusion that there's little substance to convey. <laughs> and they even com- implied that Quayle was chosen as VP because the Senate would never impeach Bush and make Quayle president. The Dick Cheney argument. Yes, yes. exactly. Interesting. It, it sounds like if Quayle was not to be renominated, they would have gone with James Baker, mm. who was Bush's Secretary of State, and he was Reagan's Secretary of Treasury and Chief of Staff, mm. and who was effectively running the Bush campaign, and apparently was not a big fan of Dan Quayle, but they stuck with him instead. Interesting. Okay. Before we jump into the general election, an important thing to note about this election is there is actually a significant uh, independent challenger for the presidency, Ross Perot. We're going to bring him up, even though we don't usually bring up third-party candidates, because he and his running mate, Navy Vice Admiral James Stockdale, actually made it into the debates. This is the most recent time a third-party candidate has made any presidential or vice presidential debate. Speaking of the debate, during the vice presidential debate, Gore hit Quayle and the Bush administration over the economic situation and came across fairly competent and direct. Quayle retorted by telling Gore not to, quote, always believe what he sees on television and that the media is wrong. He then misquoted Gore's voting record and just kind of generally came across less coherent and less serious. Quayle kept trying to land hits on how Clinton and Gore would raise taxes and all sorts of things, and Gore just kept going, no, no, no. (laughs) Stockdale (laughs) didn't do so hot in the debate either. He introduced himself with the lines, who am I? Why am I here? Uh, And then became increasingly unfocused, even requiring a question to be re-asked of him because his hearing aid was turned off. His opening (laughs) statement, if you watch on YouTube, is very uncomfortable to watch. Because he starts off, who am I? Who am I? Why am I here? And people laugh because they think it's funny. And then he's just like very clearly like, he has to take all his glasses to read it written down. It's it's a train wreck. There's a nice trend here. We talked about this uh, in the last episode too, of, of Saturday Night Live kind of shaping the public perceptions of how these vice presidential debates went. We talked about how they portrayed Dan Quayle as like an actual child. SNL also had quite a heyday with Stockdale. The general election, even despite hammering Clinton on his character, Bush was unable to paint the more Southern and moderate Clinton and Gore as as these Northern liberals, the way he was with Dukakis. Because they're not from the North. Right. <laughs> Funny. Funny how that works. Whereas Bush is, by the way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, he faced re-election under a struggling economy and heat from the conservatives over domestic and trade policies, and he was unable to put forward a convincing message going into election day. The more charismatic and youthful Clinton-Gore ticket managed to win 32 states, largely in the Northeast, Midwest, and dipping into the West and South, and Bush was largely only carrying plain states and some deep Southern states. Perot ended up winning 19% of the vote, one of the largest shares for an independent challenger in a presidential election, but he did not win any one state. And only one state in this election gave a majority of its votes to any one candidate, that being Clinton's home state of Arkansas, which is crazy. That blows my mind. Clinton-Gore are the last presidential ticket to defeat an incumbent president, and they are the youngest presidential team in America's history. 
I also do think it's worth saying how close Clinton and Bush would become in their post-presidential years. They did like a lot of foreign aid projects together and advised and supported their two most immediate successors, Bill Clinton. Once like remarks is like, oh, he's like the black sheep of our family. George W. Bush like remarked, if my dad like looked up and saw like the people he loved most to be like my brothers and like Bill Clinton. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's very there's a there's a nice story there about how they were able to put this election aside eventually mm -hmm. and be very like do very good things yeah there was like the the thing that circulated a lot after the 2016 election which was like the note bush left for clinton as he left the white house which was just like you know we're all we're all rooting for you blah 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 blah. yeah uh what happened to quail <laughs> so we talked about this last episode he flirted running for office a few times first for governor of indiana and then for governor of arizona and then did actually run for the republican nomination in 2000 for president but with Drew early on um he came in eighth in the straw poll his son would serve in Congress from Arizona, but like for only one term because he was redistricted. And uh, Quayle, if best I can tell, is still under investigation by the Irish government, SEC, FBI, and his attorney's office for trying to leverage his former office to expedite a real estate deal in Northern Ireland that would have used like state funds. It was very complicated. Yeah, he, he's, he's still kind of tripping over himself. As for Gore, he went on to become vice president for eight years under Clinton, during which they became quite close. Gore actually served as a key advisor to Clinton on many issues. He was especially vocal and active on environmental and technology issues. He did distance himself from Clinton during the Lewinsky scandal and subsequent impeachment, as he himself was focused on securing the Democratic nomination for president in 2000. During his run for president, in the primary, he faced almost no competition. He literally won every single state, which is crazy. He then faced George H.W. Bush's son, George W. Bush, in the general election and won the presidency in what was a very clear-cut victory. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. I read that wrong. Oh, no, no. That is not what happened. We'll talk all about what happened uh, in that election. But suffice to say, we never did quite get President Gore. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless... Gore may be the most active and famous vice president to have never been elected to the presidency. He worked for the next two decades on environmental issues, during which he won an Oscar for Best Documentary Film, An Inconvenient Truth. He won the Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts to expand knowledge on man-made climate change. And, like, everyone knows who Al Gore yeah. is. He's been around. He's a famous voice actor now, too. <laughs> he guest stars in at least two episodes of 30 Rock. Yeah. Um... He's just, he's still doing stuff. And, like, there's always been speculation. It's like, were you, are you going to run again in 2004, 2008, 2016, 2020? He's always like, oh, you know. Mm -hmm. He's around. All right. Let's get to the main bit. Mike, you were asked to come to the table with five alternative picks for Clinton's running mate. And since Bush is the incumbent, we'll do just two for him. Uh, and we'll unpack whether they are good or bad picks. Let's start with the Democratic ticket. Mike, do you want to go first? Sure. I went with uh, Zell Miller, governor of Georgia. He was not governor for very long by this point. In fact, he was elected in 1990, but he did serve as lieutenant governor for a little bit and in the Georgia State Senate for a while. So he's a little green. Uh, but he's from a very close state in the South, I think, that Clinton did win. It won it by like less than 1% of the vote, though. I think it's the closest um, state in this yeah, election. Georgia. Yeah. And his big thing and kind of the reason I chose him is that he's, you know, if... if a liberal from the South worked when it was Al Gore. Well, why wouldn't it work if it's Zell Miller too? And Zell Miller would go on to become not quite so liberal. He was appointed as a senator later in his career in the mid-2000s and then became sort of very hawkish and, and actually spoke at the RNC. He gave the keynote of the RNC. But before that, in 1992, he gave this keynote of the DNC where he gave this very impassioned defense of democratic politics, which, you know, had kind of fallen out of vogue in the Reagan years. And he said this great line where he said, I know that Dan Quayle means when he says it's best for children to have two parents. You bet it is. And it would be nice for them to have trust funds, too. We can't all be born rich and famous and lucky. And that's why we have a Democratic Party. My father would still be isolated and destitute if we had not had FDR's democratic brand of government. I made it because Franklin Delano Roosevelt energized this nation. I made it because Harry Truman fought for working families like mine and kind of goes on and on talking about Kennedy and Carter and how great they all were. I chose him because from a, a, a toss-up state, basically, a region that the Democrats are having trouble in. He is also a veteran, which I think helps kind of like push back against the image of Clinton as being kind of a hippie. Um, and, you know, very green. He's my number five for a reason. But I just think that it kind of like does the whole youthful, energetic thing that Clinton was trying to do, but it, but Miller's like a little older and a little more conservative. I just think it balances out sort of like his quality and Clinton's kind of balance out. You know what I'm going to say. Yes. Yes. It's a GovGov -gov ticket. Yeah. A zero federal experience ticket. Never happens. 
Just Who cares? It doesn't happen. Because <laughs> this is... Let's, we're here to explore the impossible, <laughs> okay, Lars. Okay. I just... I think it's a bad... I think it's a bad idea. Like, the things Clinton is weak on... Foreign policy, the environment, family values. Uh, history's over, Lars. <laughs> okay, that's right. There is no more Soviet Union. We won. Oh, okay. Read some Fukuyama. Sure. Um, <laughs> but if you're running against like one of the most qualified defense presidents in the post-war sure. period, don't you want to not just be... Like, you want someone. Yeah. Zell Miller was a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps. He's got that going for okay. him. Okay. Um, he did, I mean, you read about it in the Wikipedia, though, and, like, one of the things is he just did, he spent some time in the drunk tank while he was a member of the, of the Marines, but, yeah, I, I don't know, it's, he's my number five for a reason. I also think he's, like, he's almost too conservative. Is your thought that this kind of crowds out Bush ideologically? I think it's more of an image thing. Like, honestly, I don't know much about Miller's politics at the time. He would become very conservative and effectively become a conservative Democrat. And basically, it's very weird. He was very attached to being a Democrat by a label. And even though he effectively disagreed with the Democrats on basically everything, towards the end of his career, still campaigned for Democrats, except for... John Kerry, it was very, very interesting, dude. Just, I, I think part of its image thing, it's like, if, if people think Clinton is too liberal, then have a guy who's not too liberal and who, you know, Bush is a war hero. Miller's maybe not a war hero, but he's a veteran. But people don't think Clinton's too liberal. I, like, they're, they've been unable to paint him this way because he's fairly conservative for a Democrat, you know, compared to Dukakis or Mondale. Well, yeah, but, you know, he was still, but he's still part of the generation. Like, he's the first baby boomer president, yeah. right? Yeah. He, 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 look at those pictures of him. He looks like he's going straight to a Grateful Dead concert, right? <laughs> he's just like, you know, I, I'm not saying that, like, this it was a problem that really, like, manifested itself, but, like, you know, it might. It's the rhetoric that the right was going for, right? It's what Pat Buchanan, like, in his Cultural War speech, it's literally, like, the Clintons are, like, like radical liberals. like Ahead of his time. Dan Quayle's wife, when she spoke at the RNC, was like, you know, not all of us, like, dropped out and protested the war. Some of us went to work was kind of, like, her whole thing, right? <laughs> like, they were very much, like, this cultural conservative backlash was happening in the country at the time, as personified by Buchanan. And I think that Miller helps tamp that down a little bit. Yeah, I dig that. I just don't dig that he's only been, like, a governor. No, that's I, I think if you're running a governor, you need someone who's been in the federal government once <laughs> mm-hmm. as his running mate. I don't know. That's my... That's my yeah, I say Marine Corps is a branch of the federal government. Okay. <laughs> cool. And Georgia is a state in the federal government. <laughs> it's true. All right, my number five, I went with Frank Lautenberg, a senator from New Jersey. You know, he's perhaps... One of the more conventional of Clinton's options. He's a way to normalize the ticket, which may not be what you want. In fact, I'm going to argue it's not for the rest of these picks. However, his years of federal experience, you know, he served on the Appropriations Committee. He was called like the last New Deal Democrat. He's big on consumer protection, environmentalism, public transportation. New Jersey also went for Clinton by only about 2.4%. Closer states. Um, and, you know, maybe it makes Democrats and the nation more comfortable with a Southern Democrat viewed as a conservative. You know, this is kind of the ultimate ticket balance pick, which, to reiterate, I largely don't think Clinton needs or is going for. Hence, he's my number five. I, I think this is a fine pick. Yeah, just like pairing the southern moderate with the northeastern liberal, it's kind of a balance that we've seen happen a lot in, in the past iterations. You and I were talking about before we recorded this about like, is this like the end of regional picks for vice presidents? Because Clinton and Gore were from bordering states and all of this. Who knows? We'll find out in future episodes if it was. But, uh, yeah, this is fine. Fun fact about Frank Lautenberg. I, re- I wrote him a letter um, oh. once because I was a Boy Scout. And there's a merit badge called, I don't know, it was like citizenship in the U.S. or something. And, and one of the requirements is you had to write a letter to one of your senators or congressmen about an issue. And uh, I was raised to not like Bob Menendez. And I couldn't spell Rodney Frelinghausen's name, so I went with Frank Lautenberg. What did you write him about? <laughs> I, something about immigration, I really don't remember it that well. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did. I remember saying something about, like, amnesty for illegal immigrants. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, progressive was, young was a part. Was, that was, like, part of it, but then, like, I don't know. I was a Republican as a youth. I, I don't really, I, like, I don't remember a ton of it. I, there, was, there was something about security, too. I tried to toe the line right down the middle. <laughs> good. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once again, number five, just the rest of my picks are not going to be like him. But there okay. you go. Cool. I went with Bob Carey as my number four pick. Former governor of Nebraska, current senator from Nebraska. Uh, he's a Vietnam veteran and Navy SEAL. He won the Medal of Honor 
Hmm. You know, I think this is kind of me going, maybe I'm a little too hung up on the whole, like, Clinton as hippies thing, but it was the chairman of the RNC at the time at the at the convention literally says, you know, we're America and they're not America. And this kind of pushes back at that. Kerry, from, you know, a, a sort of, like, non-flashy state, you know, like I said, he won the Medal of Honor in Vietnam. He, he has a lot of experience in education and public-private partnerships as governor. He's pretty liberal, but he's not too liberal. He's kind of moderate, but not too moderate. I, he, he is maybe to the left of Clinton a little bit and does have a lot of the same experience as like a governor, but also has the added bit of him being a senator as well. I did this pick because, you know, it's not really that advantageous regionally, although you you look at like the map and it's like the string of states to like the east of Nebraska all went for Clinton. You know, maybe Clinton picks up a Dakota or two if you pick Kerry. Maybe Nebraska, maybe Kansas, who knows? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just speculating here. I'm not saying that's important. It seems like a solid pick. He's got a lot of experience, and if you think Clinton's not experienced, well, Kerry's served as both a governor and a senator. You can't argue with that. He didn't do a lot as governor. <laughs> no. So I used to work with a guy at my first job out of college who was like a lawyer for either Bob Kerry when he was governor of Nebraska or just for like the state of Nebraska in general, like new mm-hmm. Bob Kerry. And Bob Kerry decided not to run for re-election because he started dating Deborah Winger. Deborah Winger was filming Terms of Endearment in Nebraska and they broke up and he got so depressed he decided he had to like take a break from politics. Jeez. Yeah. And the way the guy I knew framed it was just like, well, so I was just like out of a job then. <laughs> <laughs> you think about like maybe this helps Clinton win. Okay, Nebraska is literally the most red state in this election. <laughs> yeah, man, who knows? It, it, it goes, it's the largest Bush over Clinton state. Right, okay, so then why, what, what does Kerry have that lets him be successful in this very red state that Clinton doesn't? Maybe whatever that is, Kerry gives it to Clinton. I mean, don't you think it puts a Senate seat in play? Is you think it's a little risky? I mean, maybe, but wasn't a Senate seat in play in like Tennessee by picking Gore? Yeah, but Gore—it's not Tennessee went for Clinton, whereas Nebraska went for Bush by seventeen points. Sure, I don't know. I mean, also Bob Kerry didn't do so well in the primary. So neither did Joe Biden two thousand eight. Oh, <laughs> oh, good point. <laughs> Who cares? Um, yeah, no, I, I think on a, overall, I don't think this loses the election for Clinton. No, no. I actually don't really think a lot of our picks will. We'll get into that. I, like, I don't know what he brings over Gore. I mean, that's fair. That's why it's my number four pick. Uh, cool. For my number four, I went with John Bro. Clinton Bro. <laughs> Clinton Bro. He's a senator from Louisiana. Uh, he's so moderate, he's... Almost a Republican. Not really, but he did support Clarence Thomas for the Supreme Court, one of those Democrats. He's pro-gun, pro-life, pro-NAFTA, pro-balanced budget, and he loves tax cuts. Uh, I think this is like a little bit of an overcompensation Mm -hmm. for Democrats in like grabbing the center. (laughs) You could possibly argue he's more right than Bush. But, but I think this is, like, a very bipartisan pick. Is like, he was known in Congress for being able to work with a lot of people on both sides of the aisle, and I think he... If, like, Clinton is looking to get an understanding of Washington, that is this pick. It's like, he can introduce Clinton to basically everyone in Washington, and he'll desperately need that in what's going to happen in 94 in the Republican Revolution and, and you know, impeachment and whatnot. Mm-hmm. He's also, like, fairly young and, uh, and from the South. I do actually believe that doubling down on the South is a good strategy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is in most elections, but I think this one, for some reason, it just, like, makes sense to me that you, you would have a double South ticket. Mm-hmm. And I think... John Bro is one of those options. Yeah, I, I I do wonder if he he is just too too right to to, yeah. to peacefully coexist on a Clinton ticket. I mean, the way you just described it makes me sound like he might be decent, like chief of staff, yeah, or like something like that, right? It sounds like he could have a place in the administration. But you know, I think you could also make the argument that this puts a, another Senate seat in play, even though Louisiana probably I think was pretty Democratic, conservative Democratic at the time, but. Yeah, I, I guess I don't really have a ton to add to this pick. I, the Clarence Thomas thing, I wonder how much of an issue that was. It could potentially hurt Clinton in certain demographics. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't really have a ton to add to, to John Bro. Do you think it puts Texas in play? Because he's right next to Texas? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, I, I think Bush has got Texas. I don't think I have a single pick. I don't have a single pick from Texas. Maybe I think yeah. Texas is pretty locked. Yeah. Though Clinton Benson is not bad. Yeah, it's I thought about bad. it. I thought about it, but like, you know. I don't want to it's, it's too late. Yeah. He had his chance. Yeah. 
All right, moving right along, number three. Now, we have Tom Harkin, senator from Iowa, also competed in the primary. Former representative, been in Congress since 1975. Very pro-abortion. He introduced the ADA into Congress. And he's got a, a lot of the populist and labor union support that Clinton doesn't really have. Clinton's sort of like the new Democrat. Tom Harkin's is more sort of like the LBJ, FDR type. You know, he could help solidify support for Clinton in the upper Midwest and Plain states. Clinton only won Iowa by six points. Yeah, like I said, kind of like you were saying about John Bro, he's been in you know Congress since 1975. He should hopefully knows the ins and outs of Capitol Hill and, and could be a real asset to Clinton on like the experience side and on being sort of an ambassador to not just Congress, but also to some of the other sort of members of the Democratic coalition that maybe Clinton needs some help with. You really like these also-rans in the primary. Yeah, I mean, when it's easy to do research to find yeah, them. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> he clearly wants to be president. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, the, the pro-abortion's interesting. Like, do you think he'd be as good at navigating Clinton through like the Republican majority that he's going to face for most of his time in office? I don't know. I don't know what his relationship is like with it. Yeah. But he's had to work in it, so. Yeah, I just think he's a bit, he's a bit liberal. I, I still think Clinton wins with him on the ticket. Mm-hmm. The Midwest and labor elements are good. Like The Midwest is definitely key for Clinton here. It's like I like... He was a West Wing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, so Bruno Giannelli's his character on the West Wing. Uh, it was like a campaign advisor. And there's like a scene where he's advising Arnold Vinnick on his running mate. You know, they suggest someone. He's like, that's a great pick. Good pick. Mm. You will win the election. But he is not the pick. Mm-hmm. And I feel that's, that's kind of what I feel about Tom Harkin. He's like, mm-hmm. great. You will win the election. It's an easy guaranteed win. But you're not really saying anything. Mm-hmm. Aren't you, though? Aren't you helping the sort of like liberal base of the Democratic Party that's felt shut out since 1981? That saw Dukakis go down in flames. Aren't you, aren't you giving them a say in your government? Don't you think the liberal wing needs to maybe take a back seat because they've like tried a few times and lost? Maybe, maybe for the good of party unity. Oh boy. Which I don't think was, it didn't seem like it was much of an issue in 1992. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll talk about it later, but do, do you think doubling down on kind of two southern moderates was not the move? I, I think it was. Fine. I, I I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with it. It's just a very weird election. It is. Yeah, it is. You would never pull that most now. elections since. Yeah. I mean, because there, there are no Southern Moderate <laughs> Democrats to take hey, from. Doug Jones is down there. <laughs> cool. Yeah. My number three, I have Jeff Bingaman, a senator from New Mexico. The argument here, I think, makes sense. He served on the Senate Armed Services Committee, Energy and Natural Resources Committee. We're talking about Clinton's weakness, military, foreign policy, environment. You know, he's from a region that Democrats are starting to build strength in, uh, the Southwest. You know, he gives Clinton that national security and congressional backing. You know, he's a young, solid statesman. You know, we talk a lot about how great astronauts are as politicians on this show. Well, he beat an astronaut incumbent for his Senate seat. So clearly he can beat an astronaut, he can beat Bush, <laughs> and Quail. He definitely yeah. beat Quail. Do you think this helps? So you said it's from an area where the Democrats are building strength, but they won, like, Colorado and New Mexico. It was close there, but they won Colorado and New Mexico. Obviously they're not going to win anything in Utah. Arizona's kind of close. Do you think that, like, that's a area they, like, should have targeted? Or do you just like senators from the West? <laughs> Both. I do think it's an area they should have targeted. Colorado and Nevada are going to vote for Bush twice. Mm-hmm. I do I do think the Democrats kind of lose it for a little bit after just barely kind of getting it for the first time. Mm-hmm. They're like, there's signs that something is happening there. We now think of like Colorado, New Mexico, and somewhat Nevada as more Democratic-leaning states. I, I think you started to dip into that, but then they pulled back. Mm-hmm. And I, I think having someone from, you know, you're kind of in like Bush country, Reagan country there. There's like a part of the country that doesn't often think about the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there's something there. Okay. It's not the Northeast. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good for Clinton. He needs to say, because he can't yeah. be painted as a Northern liberal. Right. It's not the Northeast, and it's not quite the South, but it's like kind of a middle ground, I think, of New Mexico. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe this is my East Coast bias speaking. I guess it does feel kind of like a blank canvas, where it's like, you can just make New Mexico whatever you want it to be, because it's the last person not from New Mexico who thought about New Mexico. Sure. I've heard it's lovely. I apologize to anyone from New Mexico, but... Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess there, it, it just does feel like, uh, I mean, I, I shouldn't really talk because I picked a guy from Nebraska, but it's just <laughs> like, let's find this guy who only has so much of a profile from a, a state with five electoral votes. My The pick here is not necessarily entirely regional, though. It's also experience-wise. Sure. The Armed Services and, and Energy and Natural mm-hmm. Resources Committee experiences. Yeah. I, I get it. It's not, I don't think it's like bad. I'm thinking like electorally. I understand functionally how it would work, but electorally... 
I don't really think anyone's going to care about committees. <laughs> sure. I just think he gives Clinton more credibility than your Mr. Georgia governor. Zell Miller. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. He's number three. Okay, that's fine. I, I do think he is kind of a blank slate. You could kind of turn Jeff Bingham into whatever you want. <laughs> what if he ends up being the Dan Quayle of the Democrats? <laughs> but kind of, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it does kind of seem that way. I don't know. I don't think how Dan Quayle is like the Fredo of the Republican Party. <laughs> but like less interesting almost. Like there's no like tragedy there. It's just kind of incompetent. <laughs> anyway, so mean to Dan Quayle on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, we've learned a lot of pretty bad stuff about it. <laughs> that, that, that is true. Um, so my number two pick is Paul Simon, Senator from Illinois. I believe you had to pick us for Dukakis last episode. Very, very experienced guy. He has been in Congress since 1975, just like Tom Harkin. Ran for the nomination in 88. Illinois was expected to be a close state at the time. It didn't really end up being that close. And he was like a big heavy hitter surrogate-wise for, for Clinton. There was a big thing, and I'm really annoyed because I really can't find the substance of what happened. But basically... Bush was campaigning very aggressively in Illinois because he thought he had a chance to win it. And he, he gave a speech during Chicago's Taste of Polonia, which is like a Polish festival. You know, he, he tried to basically say that, well, because I was president during the collapse of communism and also Reagan's vice president, I, I played a role in basically ending the Cold War and helping all your relatives in Poland sort of not live under the boot of communism anymore. And Paul Simon apparently delivered like a very stiff rebuke to that about sort of how effective Bush actually was, and, and Paul Simon had a lot of foreign policy experience as well. He, he made a few overseas trips as a senator. He likes being considered like a new dealer. And so kind of what I said about Harkin, we're like a LinkedIn to like new dealers and the new Democrats. As you said, maybe that co-part of the party needs to like take a step back, but I'm, I'm thinking maybe a little bit less of the party specifically and more of the voters, sort of the Roosevelt-Reagan voters, right, who would be very old at this point. But you know, the Reagan Democrats, basically, who, who sort of for years lived with this one version of the Democratic Party that was sort of trying to recreate Roosevelt and now are sort of presented with a president who's not done anything much for them economically and a candidate who is still pretty fiscally conservative, which Paul Simon was not like a tax and spend liberal, right? He was actually considered himself as a pay-as-you-go Democrat, right? Um, he thought people ought to really pay into the system and make it work. Hmm. And, and so I, I just think it offers this... He's experienced from what was expected to be sort of a competitive region, even though like it wasn't that much. It just seems like there's a lot of substance to him and that there's a lot of he's he's like a a solid party figure, like a little Biden, I think, as far as like pairing unexperienced with experience and then possibly some name recognition. Yeah. I mean, we talked about him. Yeah. He was my number five pick for Dukakis. Uh, He's he's a nerd. Yeah. He's he's like a wonk. (laughs) Um, And I I actually think... Clinton nerd ticket is a good ticket. <laughs> Al Gore doesn't really come across as a wonk. Paul Simon's a geek. Sorry, that's yes. what I mean. Paul Simon is a geek. He's got, yeah, he's got the glasses. He's just, he mm. talks about tax policy and he wears his little bow tie. Uh, it reminds me of a lot of people we went to college with. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Illinois is not like the most electorally useful state. But uh, yeah, I think this is a good nod to the establishment. Uh, he's, he's a good foreign policy pick. This could stop the Rwandan genocide. Yeah, I was going to say. If you yeah. have him on the yeah. ticket. Mm-hmm. He went after Clinton for mm-hmm. not doing anything. And if he was in the White House. Yeah, I think he's a good bit. I do think it's interesting that he's like, I'm a New Deal Democrat. He was, <laughs> I was born in 1928. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, how, many, how many people do you know who were like political science majors and who are Republicans who are like Reagan Bushy? Oh, exactly. Shirts. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> start stomping around being like i'm a great society democrat it's like well, you're 20 it's just sit the fuck down yeah yeah I, I just think he works in a lot of ways even though it's not really about where he's from mm-hmm. yeah my number two i had sam nunn talked about him last time as my number one pick for dukakis i just think he's like a really good pick in this specific era He's a senator from Georgia since 1972. He's the chair of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Really hitting on that committee. He's just a big defense name from the South. You know, moderate. He opposed tax raises. So maybe, like, you hit back at Bush, too, for that. Mm. And, yeah, he's a heavy hitter on defense to alleviate Clinton's weakness there. And it still doubles down on the South and on Georgia. You know, he also served on the Senate Select Committee on Secret Military Assistance to Iran and the Nicaraguan Opposition, you know, the committee investigating the Reagan-Bush administration over Iran-Contra. 
That's, you know, remind people that Bush was a part of that. You're hitting Bush on, like, kind of every weakness he has. Mm. His foreign policy weaknesses in Iran-Contra and his tax weaknesses with his, yeah, raising the taxes despite promising not to. And you get Georgia. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why put Zell Miller and not him? Um, because I didn't want to pick all the same guys as you. Um, <laughs> and he went first. I, you know, I think he's a good pick. He, he has a history of bipartisanship. He actually drafted some legislation with Barry Goldwater, of all people. Mm. You know, he, he is very socially conservative. He was very much against Clinton's idea to... Clinton, who was president when Don't Ask, Don't Tell came into effect, was did initially want homosexuals to serve openly in the military. Sam Nunn was very opposed to that. So maybe he's got a little of a problem with the social liberals, but but I think, it, yeah, I don't think it's a, it's, a, it's a bad pick. He also did, like, vote in favor of school player and all that, but that happened, like, during the 90s. So, you know, maybe those votes don't happen if he's vice president, but maybe it becomes a problem if, you know, he's asked to comment on them as vice president. But, yeah, so maybe, maybe a little too conservative for like what i would pick but i think everything else you explained makes total sense he's got credibility and credibility to attack bush with the thing i just learned (laughs) apparently a lot of people thought obama was going to pick him as Mm. the running mate yeah he just kind of hits bush on every weakness Mm -hmm. that he has and it's the same as last time Mm -hmm. yeah all right number number one I went with Bob Graham. He is the former governor of Florida and a senator from Florida at this point in time. Florida is obviously very, very big. Bush only won it by 2%. And yeah, Florida would become very important in sort of the saga of Clinton and Gore. So maybe just like looking to the future, that makes a lot of sense. You know, he's an, he's an insider, but he was also a governor. He's, he's, he's served both in executive roles and legislative roles. He served on the Environment and Public Works Committee. I'm just copying off your notes. And the Banking Committee, which is good for Clinton. He had 83% approval rating as governor, one of the most popular politicians in Florida. Just like a popular guy. People like him. He's from an important state. It's sort of doubling down, like you said, on the Southern moderate thing. Mm. Um, so it, it keeps the Clinton-Gore formula effective. Yeah, he's also my number one. I do. I think he and Paul Simon are the two that can change history. I think mm-hmm. the rest of them, history more or less will unfold as it went. Mm-hmm. Paul Simon changes history by preventing the Rwandan genocide. I think Bob Graham changes history by changing the 2000 election. Mm-hmm. This, like in hindsight, this kind of seems like a no-brainer. Building the Democratic machine in Florida mm-hmm. in the like eight years before the 2000 election and like it, into the present. It's like Florida has become a fairly, I, I don't know if, if it's a reliably Republican state. I mean, Obama won it twice, but you now have a president who has now moved his residence there mm-hmm. <laughs> for this election. This is a very big and important state, no matter how much it sucks. <laughs> um, and Lars can say that because he lived in Florida I, yeah, I for lived a little bit. <laughs> and I remember it so well when I was like eight. <laughs> um, it's just, yeah, Bob Graham, and he's still from the South. Like you, you kind of get everything you do with Gore plus Florida, which is all you need. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Bob Graham. Graham Crackers, or what yes. his supporters were called. Yes. <laughs> Uh, good times. As for trends in our picks, we went for all senators, with one glaring exception, <laughs> mostly South or Mid-America, mm-hmm. though we each kind of threw in, like, one establishment person. Yeah. Paul Simon, and I went with Frank Wattenberg. No women. We had no women. No. That's well, it's interesting. There, there were none that, like, jumped out at me as interesting picks. And I, I do wonder with clinton's sort of like rumored infidelities Mm. if you can kind of hear from both sides maybe if if women have sort of misgivings about bill clinton because of that then it helps them with the female vote but also (laughs) biden yes but also if he does pick a woman you know if if walter mondale and geraldine ferrar were afraid to like shake hands or like hug in public yeah and walter mondale from what i understand is like squeaky clean yeah like what are they gonna say about like bill clinton's female running mate yeah (laughs) yeah i also just think there aren't a lot of female politicians from the south in this era Mm -hmm. and i mostly went with southern people yeah cool as for people clinton actually considered reportedly over 40 people but some of the major finalists were nebraska senator bob Kerry, west virginia senator jay rockefeller pennsylvania senator harris wofford Iowa Senator Tom Harkin, Florida Senator Bob Graham, and Indiana Representative Lee Hamilton. A lot of names mm-hmm. we've talked about. Yes. All right, let's quickly do Bush and who he should have <laughs> dropped quail for. I'll, I'll start on these. Uh, my number two pick, I went with Pete Wilson, governor of California and former senator from California. This is kind of a Hail Mary. 
Republicans are going to lose California in this election for the first time since 1964, and it will never come back. Maybe you show these parts of the country that you were not giving up. You know, it's kind of the inverse of what Democrats are doing in this election with the South by doubling down there. You know, this is the state that brought you your beloved Ronald Reagan. Wilson also voted against Bush's tax increase, but then had to handle taxes in a similar way uh, to Bush in California in that it was like ultimately the responsible thing Mm. to do there. And I think maybe you turn that conversation into like responsibility and statesmanship and reassert that like, you are the president. You are the ones who have to make the tough decisions. This guy was the governor. He, yeah, he voted against it, but then he had to go do the same thing. It's about being the guy in the room this hippie from Arkansas doesn't know how to be the president. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is kind of like a big swing for Bush, but I still think he's better than Quayle. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder if, because this, 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 this brings to mind an interesting thought, is that like if Bush were to dump Quayle, when would people know that? Would they know it before the end of the primary? Is it the thing that would happen in between the primary and the convention? Would, mm-hmm. would, would, would people know during the primary, right? And if they did know during the primary, would they know he, who he would pick to, to, to in, instead of Quayle? Because I think that if he has to announce it while the primary is going on, I actually think it might hurt him. I don't think he's going to lose the primary to Buchanan, but I think if you, if, if you try to go with the tax argument, I think it could hurt him again. Or it's like, well, here's Bush... His secret plan all along was to raise taxes. <laughs> Pat Buchanan told me so. And maybe that becomes a liability for him in a primary campaign. In a general campaign, I, I think you're right about California. Because if the Republicans in California and Texas, they're like right back in it. Right? Yeah. They will still lose this election. Yes, they will. But, but then you only need a few. You need yeah. less states to go your way. I think there is a way that Bush could have turned this tax thing into a plus. It, this is gen- like it's generally regarded as like yeah. a major mistake, but it was like it's now considered like the right thing to do. Yeah. I think people are very kind to Bush for what happened. Yeah, I don't think that was unwinnable. I think there is a way to do this in a like sometimes you have to be the guy in the room. I I don't think it was unwinnable in a general election. I think it's unwinnable in a primary. I don't think it costs him the primary. Yeah. But I think it causes a bigger firestorm. And maybe maybe the people who were like feeling kind of antsy about that like go to Peru instead. Yeah, that could be. Like I said, hail Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, uh, so I went with the guy who they were actually thinking about replacing Quayle with, James Baker, Bush's Secretary of State, Reagan's Chief of Staff, and Secretary of Treasury. Like I said, he was considered most likely option uh, as Quayle's replacement. One of the faces of the Persian Gulf War, which is you know one of Bush's signature achievements as president, and was effectively the chair of his re-election campaign. He's like an effective and experienced bureaucrat. He's like moderate enough that conservative activists actually were lobbying Reagan to dismiss him as Chief of Staff. And Reagan responded to that by promoting him to Secretary of the Treasury, which is like, actually made me like Reagan a little bit more, because it's kind of like a very ultimate move against people who seem like they're insufferable. But um, <laughs> I, I guess, so the way I was thinking about this is because I feel like usually when we're picking for an incumbent, I take it seriously, but I don't take it that seriously. It's like, I picked Gene Kirkpatrick in 1984. It's like, I'm just thinking about like, who would be an interesting name as far as like, who, who should this person actually replace a vice president with? But since it came like fairly close to them replacing Quayle, like I kind of put it like I thought about it in a different way, and I actually think it makes sense to go like inside the administration if you're going to replace your vice president. Because if you get rid of your vice president, that effectively says that George Bush made a mistake yeah. and he picked the wrong person to be vice president. But I think you can sort of recover from that a little bit by saying. Yeah, he picked the wrong vice president, but he's still surrounded with the right people. Yeah. And he's so confident in them, in fact, he'll make one of them his vice president. He just, he went outside the family, he picked this guy from Indiana he never knew before, but he's known Baker for, you know, at least 12 years at this point, right? Let's let's reset the ship, let, let, let's get an adult back in the room. Bush, Bush Baker, 92. Yeah, I was going to say, referring to your own rule, is he not a double administration? I, so I was thinking that too, but I, yeah. think, I think that's a benefit in this case, is okay. what I'm saying. I mean, I, I agree. I think the Reagan administration, if there's one administration you're going to double down on, it's Reagan. Everyone yeah. loves Reagan. Well, Republicans really like Reagan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, solid, solid. Pick. It is, I do think Bush and Baker are weirdly similar. Mm-hmm. I do feel like they're kind of. It's kind of like if the same guy was on the ticket yeah. in both spots. Yeah, like he doesn't. I don't think he brings anything like new. Mm-hmm. They're just like old white bureaucrats. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Cool. My number one. I went with Ohio man. I went with George Voinovich, governor of Ohio. He's the mayor of Cleveland, which became the comeback city under his administration. You know, he was the president of the National League of Cities when he was the mayor. 
I think having a major local politician and then governor of a huge, narrow Midwestern state like Ohio is just a great change for Bush. The Midwest, you know, is a key place that he lost and therefore lost this election. Most of the Midwest was decided by under 10%. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like going like local. I like reaching out. You know, Bush is the ultimate administration insider. I like reaching out to maybe someone who's been working on the front lines. Yeah, I think it's a good point. There's that pretty famous moment in the campaign where it was the debate. And there's this woman who basically asked Bush and she's like, you know, you're like a very wealthy person. Essentially, like you, there's no way you can know what people towards the bottom of the economic ladder are going through. So how can you effectively, you know, know, legislate on that, govern on that? And like his response is like terrible. He's basically like, are you saying that people who have means like don't understand what you're going through? And like clearly doesn't like understand the question. He's very flustered by it. And then Clinton swoops in and gives a very sort of like, you know, a compassionate response and and, and all of that. So I think it's a good reason for that, right? Because he can say it's like, well, Voinovich brought a city back. You know, he's kind of on the front lines of the American economy, a a manufacturing center in Ohio, going out of Washington, getting out of Washington and and going for a guy who's been there and, and knows what people are going through. Yeah. I went with Colin Powell, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, also former National Security Advisor Ron Reagan, former Deputy National Security Advisor, oversaw the response to 28 crises in his time as chairman of the Staff, including the invasion of Panama and the Persian Gulf War. But he was considered a reluctant warrior who always advocated for diplomacy and containment before military action. Another face of Bush's signature accomplishment, the victory in the Persian Gulf War. Also an African-American from the Bronx, which is not a community that the Republicans tend to do well in. Well, you know, it highlights sort of Bush's key achievement. And like I said, reaches out to that community that they might not have a lot of traction in. He's considered like decently moderate. He's, he's also kind of a bureaucrat, basically, even though he is a general. He's very well respected, even though he didn't really like working for Reagan, apparently, which is kind of interesting. Like I said, it blows up the script by nominating an African-American on the Republican ticket. And maybe there's a rally around the flag effect by picking a general. Yeah, I actually think this is a great pick. <laughs> I, I feel like the Republican Party has like a window in like 88 to 96 mm-hmm. maybe 94 to show that it cares mm-hmm. to show that that it is also a party that is willing to to open up and like mm-hmm. women and minorities we're, we have no problem we're, we're all about you we're gonna start nominating you too mm-hmm. they just have an opportunity to show that they are committed to diversity in the party and i think they totally fail to seize yeah, it yeah. and I, I think that window is very it's narrow it's like the bush senior years is i, I actually think it's over after this yeah. the republican party has lost women mm-hmm. and minorities in this period and it's you know yeah. we're 30 years since mm-hmm. and it's they're nowhere near coming back to that this book i i keep mentioning all the time this podcast gang of five which is about sort of the conservative movement in america so it was written in like 2000 or like 2001 2002 and it ends with the election of george w bush and the author is essentially like, so George W. Bush now has a decision to make. It's like, he can either govern for the people who voted for him or he can govern for everybody, basically. He can decide who he wants to govern. That's sort of the key to, like, conservatism in America. It's like, it will either be a good thing for people and, and, and will survive if he chooses to govern for everybody. And I, I think it's pretty clear what direction it went in, right? Yeah. Especially with the current situation or current yeah. president. This book also talks about how, you know, the 92 convention turned a lot of people off from the Republican Party mm. because they let... They basically let the crazies into the building, right? They called them like like the straw hatters, like the essentially like the tea partiers of their day. You know, were, were allowed to kind of run rush out over the convention and and bring in this more socially conservative, culturally conservative element that Bush wasn't really a part of, but Buchanan was. And and I, and I think this kind of helps push that back a little bit, and it, it makes him look like a bigger tent than they ultimately became. And ninety two dubbed the year of the woman mm-hmm. because of obviously nothing in comparison to the 2018 election but like at the time so many women were elected to congress mm. it was like a big deal and democrats showed that they were willing to put in the work mm. and i think bush i think he had an opportunity to didn't take it mm-hmm. yeah as for trends it seems like we're mostly just not quail mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i had two governors you had mostly I had two administration administration picks, picks. <laughs> The things we don't like, respectively. Mm, Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, as for Bush actually considered, you know, like we said, there were pressure and rumors that he would replace Quayle, but he did not. Mm. Speed round, any any fun or quirky names? I had Georgia Congressman John Lewis, who Bill Clinton thought of. There's a Georgia name, African-American. 
So had Barbara Mikulski, one of the faces of the Year of the Woman, uh, senator from Maryland. People at the time thought she was one of the meaner senators, but maybe that's just a anti-women thing. Mm. I also, I didn't put this on because it violates my own rule, but Dick Celeste, former governor of Ohio, you know, he, he was director of the Peace Corps under Carter, so maybe some federal experience there. This is just like a big state, close for Clinton. Um, he just had like a really good record. Like if, if he were governor today, Democrats would be all over him. Yeah. Uh, Republicans, I didn't really have anyone. Yeah, I, I didn't really have a ton of people. I mean, like, Jack Kemp was a part of the Bush administration. He was his secretary of urban development. Maybe you replaced Dan Quill with him. Probably the guy who Bush should have picked in the first place, if we're yeah. being honest. And, like, we, we did mention Lloyd Benson earlier on, yeah. Clinton, which makes sense if Lloyd Benson had not run for vice president four years earlier. Um, cool. Conclusion. If you could change the running mate for either of the two candidates, would you? I don't think I would for Clinton. I mean, it's hard to argue with something that worked. It was effective. Gore is like pretty non-controversial and like moderate enough to be effective. I, I don't know. There's there's no one that screams out as like definitely more appealing to me. As far as Bush goes, <laughs> I would have picked his bit of running mate in 1988 certainly as sort of ineffective and incompetent as Dan Quayle was. I I just don't think you come out good at all replacing a vice president unless he is like a criminal because that that'll be the news will be that like something's rotten in the state of denmark and that they're, they're shuffling deck chairs on the titanic like you you're, you're just not running from a position of strength then so while it would make sense to have basically anybody but dan quayle be vice president like i you're you're it's too late you're locked in like i get that i almost disagree this year is i actually think bush needs an opportunity to wipe the slate clean and like get people stop talking about the economy and his taxes and I, I feel like he has an opportunity. Yeah, but there's a thre- he can. There's a thread he can. He can. But it's, I, I guess so. But I just. I just feel like it's kind of like. We could also like fire half his cabinet. Let's talk about that too. But like, it's like I'm just imagining like the article being written right, and it's like you know, Bush announces Dan Quayle will not be seeking vice presidency 1992 it's this caps off a tumultuous year for the bush administration which included blah 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 blah, right it's just another thing to add to the list but but i think there's a way to do because a lot of the republicans like establishment were like you have to get him out of here this is like this is dangerous to have him (laughs) as the vice president like i think there's a way that you could do it it's like yeah i talked with literally the entire republican party we all want him off the ticket so we're making this choice I think there's a way to do it. I do agree. You're probably not doing it from a sign of strength and you just shouldn't have chosen him in 88. As for Clinton and Gore, I think Gore is like one of the greatest vice presidential picks. <laughs> it's just like really, it's just really good. Mm-hmm. And I just think he was a really good vice president for Clinton. And like, I am tempted to say like you could put Bob Graham and win the 2000 election, but you could have done so many different things and won the 2000 election. Uh-huh. If Al Gore would have chosen a different running mate, I think you could have won the 2000 election. Mm-hmm. If Jeb Bush wasn't governor of Florida. Right. Like, the, the, right. Like, We're going to have plenty of opportunity to change the outcome of that election <laughs> in two episodes' time. I, I think Al Gore is a great VP pick. Anyway, that's our show. You can find us everywhere the podcasts are found. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Find, as always, all of our works on thepostwriter.com, including our Running Mates portal for all of the vice presidency stuff. In the meantime, I have been Lars Emerson. And I'm Mike Levito. And we will catch you in our next episode on the 1996 election between Bill Clinton's Al Gore and a couple names from episodes past. We have Bob Dole and his running mate, Jack Kemp. See you then.